1: Hello and welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. My name is Melanie Boylan, and today I'm joined by Jack Withenshaw, who's the Chief Commercial Officer of Airspeeder. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Melanie. So Airspeeder sounds like an intriguing name straight away, doesn't it? Um, But we recently did a press release with you guys, didn't we, Um, about uh, an incredible innovation. Can you outline it to us, please, Jack?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, uh, Airspeeder, in, in summary, is a premium EV toll competition. Uh, what we'd like to say is the F1 of flying cars, right? So, motorsport in the sky. Uh, we're creating a, a new generation of motorsports and hopefully, along with that, uh, that, that new ecosystem, um, developing a, a new mobility revolution along with it. So, no small feat.
1: I love the fact you mentioned it was a mobility revolution. It really is going to change things, isn't it?
2: Yeah, so flying cars is something we've, we've had in our minds for a while as, as, uh, as a society, I think. Just look at science fiction. Um, we, we've had it in Star Wars, Fifth Element, Jetsons, uh, Back to the Future. We've been promised flying cars for, for a while now. Um, but it's only taken to, to the last couple of years where we've seen some of the advancements that's happened in the drone space. As well as the electric vehicle space, that this technology is starting to become a reality. Um, to date, there are 320, I believe, flying car companies. Uh, well, at least uh, that many that have a, have a PowerPoint presentation. Um, a smaller handful actually building some stuff. But what we're seeing is some big, big players start to move into this space. Mm-hmm. Um, traditionally, or at least at the very beginning, it was uh, the, the aerospace. Uh, players, so the likes of your, your Airbus or your Boeings. Um, but more recently, we're seeing larger amounts of investments from automotive um, companies and manufacturers, the likes of Toyota, Hyundai, Daimler, Porsche, Aston. Uh, we've also got more recently, even the beginning of this year, um, companies like Fiat Chrysler or General Motors also start to move in. So billions of dollars have started to become invested into the EV toll space. The first uh, EVTOR uam unicorns or urban Air Mobility unicorns have, have started popping up as well so flying unicorns that's, that's they're actually thing. called unicorns well any any company over a billion dollar valuation uh, is a unicorn but oh, since they're okay. <laughs> in the air i think flying unicorns is a term we can uh, we can talk to but um the point is that this is now becoming uh moving away from science fiction and becoming a reality so we're going to see these vehicles eventually start flying over our heads across London, New York, uh, to be able to, to make a more efficient transport system. Now, while this is going to take some time to develop, there are a lot of considerations uh, when you're building a flying car things like regulation, certification, noise, battery longevity, public acceptance. Do people want these vehicles over their heads? Uh, these are all big questions that we're going to and hurdles that we're going to have to go through as an industry. Um, but for us, what we saw was an opportunity. To, uh, to to skirt some of those those pressing issues over urban environments, create a racing ecosystem, uh, and and start to be able to accelerate this mobility revolution uh, a little bit quicker via the form of racing.
1: Well, that's a great answer, I've got to say. Um, and you're quite right. When it comes down to – because the, the examples we've seen is everyday flying cars, you know, people literally going out to the shops and, you know, obviously, Marty went back in time and that sort of stuff. But, you know, they're trying to make it a sort of a regular everyday thing, whereas obviously we're not there yet. We're, we're looking at sport. Do you think this is the, the way to break through to normalising flying cars um, by sort of trusting the safety and building up a, a reputation of, of, of the sport first?
2: Well, yeah, quite frankly, we do. It's, uh, it's a lesson learned from history. We've seen it in motorsports in the very dawn of automotive, uh, the automotive industry, the role that racing played in not only accelerating performance and safety, but also getting people to fall in love with this technology, providing some excitement and playfulness around it, um, really driving the the promise of what this tech can do to the public. And that should be the first question that we answer. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely um, precedent in, in history in, in the automotive space as well as the aviation space. So something we always look back to is this amazing competition that took place in 1913 called the Schneider Trophy. Now it's these seaplanes that were racing in Monaco two years after they were invented, and they started out not that fast at somewhere around 45 miles an hour. Uh, but you had that uh, is slow <laughs> it's not quick
0: how did it stay up
2: <laughs> um slowly barely and they had skis as well uh, so they could land on water so just in case everything uh, didn't quite go to go to plan <laughs> but what you had was uh the british the americans the italians uh all and, and the french all competing in this competition that really started to Get people excited about what flying technology could do, hmm. and what we saw was in that short period of the uh, of when the Schneider Trophy started in, in 1913 through to when it ended, some 15 years later, just before World War ii were speeds going from 45 miles an hour to just shy of 400. So you saw huge acceleration of performance. You saw the popularization and what people could see the, uh, the application of this technology had would have in, in civil uh, ag- aviation. And uh, it started accelerating uh, the, the aviation market to a point where World War II took, took over and uh, the light of the Spitfire came out of, um, out of that competition. And so what we see is we're in a very similar point in time. We, we don't see us as uh, the, the polished end product of the F1 or something like that. We really are in the early days. Think of us as bumbling quadricycles uh, in the 1890s in the very dawn of, of all this, this new technology. And um, providing a space where, where people can get excited about it, can uh, compete. And this is our, our biggest philosophy uh, within Airspeeder, is that nothing drives innovation like competition. And by providing that space, providing that competition, we can start to accelerate the technology that comes out of, uh, out of, this, out of this series.
1: And I've got to agree with you, innovation um, is the way to do it. Um, and competition always pushes boundaries, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. So look, uh, we're going to start introducing some new teams uh, from across the globe. This is very much a global event. This isn't uh, just just in Australia or in the the UK. So we've got some global teams that are entering this new race. Um, We've got some great locations around the world that we're going to be flying in. Flying in remote locations as well. well, I would imagine
1: they would be, yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I do need to say we're not going to be uh, over everybody's heads just yet. Uh, One day, I would love to be able to say that we can fly in somewhere like Monaco and the Bay of Monaco, but uh, we've got a couple of years of development before we can get to that stage. Um, But before then, we're flying in nice, safe, qualified remote locations with qualified pilots, uh, Mm. registered teams, uh, live audiences isn't something that we're after. Uh, We're built for broadcast um to, to keep it all safe but this is definitely the the easiest way forward to be able to make flying cars uh, flying car racing a reality and in turn we think in the couple of years it's going to take to be able to develop uh quite frankly we're racing this year but over the next few years um we'll be able to iterate and develop new vehicles mm-hmm. use that innovation to be able to, to speed up the mobility revolution so that when we are flying over cities over london over new york or wherever. Um, that there's a couple of years of popularisation through racing and developments that will start to trickle down into, uh, into the taxi market.
1: So, yeah. Now, I'm, I'm going to move you on to the, the United Nations element of your um, press release. How are they getting involved in, in flying cars?
2: Absolutely. So we recently signed a charter with the UN about uh, action uh, for, for climate change. And this is a position the UN has taken where they want to be able to see development in sport, um, both new sports and and existing sports. um, to start becoming a little bit more progressive in there. Um, And I've lost myself. (laughs) I'm so sorry. Sorry, Melanie.
1: So, Jack, um, I'd like to move you on to the United Nations element of the press release that was out recently. Could you tell us how the United Nations have got involved in flying cars?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a natural, natural fit, really. Um, so the United Nations have a sports charter uh, for, for climate change where they're encouraging new sports organisations and existing sports organisations uh, to, to sign up and, and pledge to be able to push their sports to become more sustainable. Now, it's exciting for us because we get to to join uh, some amazing sports rights holders um, that have taken that pledge. Um, But also, it allows us to think, as a new sport, how can we start this, uh, how can we start off developing this sport in the best way possible? How can we make it as sustainable as possible? So start as
1: you mean to go on, basically.
2: Absolutely. If you've been given the chance to be able to write the book from scratch, why not write it correctly? Mm. So... Uh, some of those key elements that we're looking to integrate into our sport. Not only are we pushing electric technology and clean air solutions as uh, as an industry, um, but more specifically around our events, uh, we're looking to have limited audiences. Um, we don't need physical infrastructure. No. So we don't require those tarmacs. Uh, we are using what's called digital courses um, or SkyTracks, where we'll be racing uh, in, in various environments over Sand, water, uh, snow, the sky's our playground. But um, that lack of um, infrastructure will really help with our carbon footprint. Um, And most importantly, trying to push the the renewable energy agenda as well, not only in our events, but into our vehicles.
1: So did you approach them or did they approach you?
2: We definitely approached them.
1: Gotcha. Um, I'm just trying to picture flying using electricity. And it... It doesn't sound oh, it doesn't sound as powerful as it could be using a motor. I mean, how would you explain the, the difference in the power that, that's needed?
2: Absolutely. So I think we're seeing the transition on the ground, firstly. Mm. So we're seeing electric vehicles and the revolution that's taking place on, on the roads and streets at the moment. And uh, the industry is now developing to a stage where some of the performance that you're getting out of electric vehicles is starting to compete, if not outdo traditional ice engines. So, we're already starting to see that on the ground. Um, If we were to introduce a new layer of mobility uh, or transport solutions, why would we not be pushing for an electric uh, agenda from the the get-go? So that's, I guess, more of a uh, philosophical answer as to to why we choose to go electric. Mm -hmm. Um, But there is also a very practical use as well. Um, the, The energy that we can get out of the batteries at the moment And instant deployment of that energy to our motors is critical to be able to create the agility and performance racing that we're we're producing.
0: Hmm.
2: Um, And you can only achieve that instant energy through through the uh, the electric systems that we're pursuing. So for flying car racing to exist, uh, I I strongly believe that not only will it have to be a sustainable solution, but it will also need to be an electric one. Uh, in the short term. There are also new options coming out. Uh, There there are hybrid options uh, being pursued as well as as hydrogen as as a longer term solution. But in the short term, uh, if you look at the flying car industry or the UAM world, Mm -hmm. uh, 99% of the solutions that are coming out are are, um, electric. Yeah,
1: I'm almost sure you saw my notes there because I was going to segue to hydrogen. So there is a, a place for hydrogen in these flying cars, is there?
2: Potentially, yeah. Uh, yet to be seen. Um, this is probably more my view than the industry's, uh, but I think we will see the deployment of hydrogen in transport solutions, firstly in long haul carrier or, or probably Agreed. larger vessels, so maybe yeah. in cargo, uh, trucks, then maybe long haul aviation. In terms of small transport or singular, uh, singular passenger transport and even racing, hydrogen isn't the preferred option just yet um but i think if you were to say that uh, battery development is where it is today 10 years ago uh we'd be we'd be surprised so i may be eating my eating my hat uh, in a couple of years time at which point i will i'll eat my hat and we can start looking at the benefits of hydrogen uh, batteries in racing as well
1: no that's that's a good answer um, and i do agree that you know, the people I've been speaking to, certainly over the last couple of months, um, have all been sort of hydrogen themed. So I can definitely see it happening.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a common theme at the moment. Uh, a lot of people are pursuing it. I think there's some some answers that we need to get out first around density and safety. They're the two key ones that we're going to be talking about. But, uh, and weight for us as well when we're up in the air. That's another huge consideration. But um, yeah, look, I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, a bit nervous to... to put my marker down just yet and say it'll never happen
1: totally so let's get behind the people of airspeeder um there's yourself and there's matthew who else is involved um in airspeeder
2: yeah we've got a we've got a great team so there's uh there's two two parts of the company actually we've got Airspeeder the sport so that's uh that's all the, the rights the the partnership sponsorships the brands that are involved the media element uh how it's filmed uh, dealing with locations and race partners, that's all heralded out of uh, London, in the UK. Uh, and then we've got Alauda. Uh, Alauda is the sole manufacturer of the Airspeeder race series, and Alauda is uh, all headquartered out of Adelaide, South Australia, and that's where we have a, a, a large team of engineers building these vehicles. And uh, uh, you may ask the question: Why are we doing that out of Australia? i uh,
1: going to say it did yeah. cross my mind. <laughs>
2: The uh, the short answer there is favorable weather and lots of space. Uh, now, when you are flying and uh, building these vehicles to, to fly in extreme environments, um, Australia is a great great opportunity to be able to do that. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's there's two parts of the company, and uh, and we yeah we look to we look to build the sport out of the UK uh, as well.
1: And the team themselves. So, um, was it this was all Matt's concept, was it? Was it his drive that got this started?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, I think Matt's going to block his ears when he hears this eventually, but uh, he's a little bit of a visionary. He's quite successful early in life. He's had a couple of ventures. Uh, he's got two really exciting ventures at the moment, one being Airspeeder, but the other is a company called Fleet uh, Space Solutions and Space Technologies. And uh, they produce low earth orbit satellites, having launched satellites with companies like SpaceX and Rocket Labs most recently, past couple of weeks actually. So a um, is, is guy's quite visionary, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, but also very, very clever in how he's able to commercialize big problems. Uh, and I think airspeed is a great testament to that. If you want to build a flying car, um, pragmatically racing was the, was the solution to be able to do that. Um, he's had this vision for a while. Uh, this isn't something that has popped up. We've been working on this since 2016 uh, with, with a small team in, uh, in Australia. Uh, I was the first hire out of the UK and uh, building up the, the team here. Um, but we've got an amazing um, set of engineers from all different backgrounds, uh, from companies like McLaren, Brabham, Rolls-Royce, uh, Williams, Renault, even from Vertical Aerospace as well. So uh, it's in the in the UAM space, as well as UAM, uh, er, urban air mobility. Yeah. Sorry. So yeah, so we've got some great engineers that have come and joined us. That's the thing. That's the thing.
1: UAM. Urban yeah, it's,
2: so you've got. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to acronyms now, but uh-huh. UAM, AAM, which is advanced air mobility. Anything referring to uh, this this new flying car um, technology that's allowed to either transport people or cargo um, in urban in, um, environments.
1: I suppose with all these groups that you were telling me about, this 320-odd um, teams, I guess it's been around a while. So how long have people been working on this?
2: Yeah, so some of the first movers uh, in this industry have, have been doing it now for 12, 15 years. Hmm. Um, I think we, it's fair to say that the market leader is a company called Joby, um based in the states uh they've been around at least for 10 years working on a, uh, their first prototype so it's, it's quite it, I, w- I, w- I wouldn't want to go as far to say it's a mature industry but it's on its way
1: interesting okay so it was interesting you mentioned um that matthew has got this background in in other areas as well so where did he start um work initially you know what's his background before starting up Airspeeder and a
2: yeah. So he's, uh, he's always been an entrepreneur of sorts. Um, so he's had a string of successful companies, um, usually in technology and software, um, which afforded him some time to think about solving bigger problems. Hmm. So I think fleet's a great example of that. Um, always having the ambition to be able to provide connectivity to hard to reach places. Um, you can remember Australia is quite vast and there's not always satellite coverage everywhere. Uh, so that's where the, uh, the drive to be able to create that technology came from. Um, but in him having gone through his career of uh, scaling up small startups to large successful companies, had the ability to be able to figure out how to commercialize that path along the way. Um, and that's, that's the exact same for, for, for Airspeeder as well.
1: I've got to say, um, I'm here in the wilds of uh, the Midlands in Ireland and we worry about our Wi-Fi speed here. It must be <laughs> awful in the middle of nowhere in, in Australia.
2: It's um, probably, yeah, probably quite the same.
1: Now, it's noted that you use um, different technologies as part of Airspeeder. Um, notably, um, the latest LiDAR, radar and augmented reality technology. So how are these applied Um during the process of flying?
2: Yeah, so first and foremost, what we what care about at airspeed is, is the safety of our, our pilots. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so for, for all the listeners out there, we're not flying really high. We, we only racing under 10 meters off the ground. Uh, not only does that provide for a better spectacle so you can actually gauge, yeah, gauge the speed of the vehicles, but it's also a key factor in safety. Um, so the races will be kept to, to, to under 10 meters um, we've got a ton of technology that's going to keeping the pilot safe, things like um, uh, carbon fiber monocoques, um, ballistic cells, parachutes. Um, that's all designed to be able to, survive cells, it's all designed to keep the pilot safe um, yeah. during the race. But the key piece of technology that allows multiple vehicles to be racing at the same time, i.e. motorsports in the sky, is something we've been working on from the very beginning, which is close, close collision avoidance. So we've all worked in collision avoidance uh, or seen collision avoidance uh, work in, in drones. If uh-huh. you ever try to fly a drone at yourself, it quite simply will stop and, and deny that action from taking place. Um, what we're trying to do is bring that into to close, um, close racing. So we want to be able to provide that bumper to bumper, wheel to wheel racing that you see on the ground into the sky. Now, to be able to achieve that, we've had to use a bunch of different technologies uh, you mentioned a couple there, RIDAR, LiDAR and uh, machine learning as well, uh, machine vision, uh, to be able to network all the vehicles to be on the same, uh, same environment so they can speak to each other and be able to, to communicate to a, disallow any sort of physical interaction. So now I'm talking two vehicles being close, digitally bumping, but not mm. physically touching, akin to two neg- negatively charged magnets.
1: Okay, I'm with you.
2: Yeah, so, so think of it as a digital force field. That will sit around the vehicles, and will keep the pilots safe.
1: God, well. That sounds so cool.
2: And it's actually it's, <laughs> it's very difficult to produce on the ground. Uh, if you're on the street trying to create a collision avoidance system, hmm. uh, anything can happen. You can have a a pram come in the way, or a balloon, or a ball be kicked, or another vehicle come out of nowhere, and it's hard to predict. But in racing, it's actually a benign environment. Hmm. It's uh, it's the same track that's pre-loaded, pre uh, pre-mapped and, and built into uh, into the vehicles network, and the vehicles. There's uh, they're the only ones that will be appearing in the environment. Um, so We we have an, we have a clear idea of who's playing in that space, uh, that they can talk to each other, and that it can be pre-mapped. And so, what we've got there is a, a system that will not only just allow the vehicles to not touch each other, um, but we can start then looking to to incorporate that same system so they can be protected from the ground. When they come in for a pit stop to switch the batteries out, we can do so safely. And inevitably, when we do scale this up to be able to have live audiences, Hmm. um, and hopefully we've gone through years of rigorous testing to be able to get that that stage, that technology will be there to to keep audiences safe as well.
1: So is anything like this being used in racing planes? Because that's already a thing, isn't it? The the planes racing around out, out in deserts and that sort of stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. you've got the Rena Air Race, so you've got Rebel Air Race. Mm-hmm. Um, both are using what is effectively 1960s technology. Still.
0: Um,
2: yeah, these are, these are old warbirds being, being thrashed, granted with a lot of skill and a, a lot of courage. But um, they, this, is, this is old technology that's been kind of pushed uh, pushed for, for racing purposes. And it's, it's important to say that the technology that allowed that racing to take place for Rebel Air Race was the air gate, so those inflatable pylons. Um, so the plane could get really close and, uh, and uh, complete its course as, as quickly as it can. But um, for, for us, that key piece of technology that allows multiple vehicles is going to be the collision avoidance uh, right. piece. So it, this is a really important point as well, is that we're not using old technology, we're using brand new technology, uh, completely sensor-ridden vehicles, uh, which are electronically governed and have uh, a lot of, I guess agility because of the nature of that being a multicopter means that if you combine that sensor tech and the uh, nimbleness of these vehicles, uh, we can produce a really exciting performance, agility centric sport. where you are going to have these vehicles doing uh, hair, hairpin turns, close combat racing, um, really, really exciting racing, but that also progresses this technology. Mm. Um, I think Racing shouldn't just be a means to an end. It should be, and this is, again, why we believe that we position ourselves as being the beginning of a motorsport revolution, um, that this technology should be able to to grow and expand and then that the the tech that comes off it should be able to trickle down to the mainstream uh, world. And that's the important part.
1: So have you started racing yet as a team?
2: This year. We've got our first races uh, coming up. I, I can't say just where or when just yet. Um, can't <laughs> Oh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot of uh, steps to that, that grand reveal. Uh, I think if I said too much, I'll probably get slapped in the knuckles. But um, <laughs> And I don't know if I have already. But um, I can say that we are racing this year. Okay. Uh, so you'll see your first teams and our first locations soon to be announced. Um, and the vehicles that will be racing in it, the recently announced uh, Mark III, uh, will be the vehicle we'll be using.
1: Do you think we'll have the same sort of fan base behind the the drivers you know will there be a a new michael schumacher up in up in the clouds racing cars
2: yeah absolutely uh so we can talk about the the, the pilots and where they're from so we've got i think to date we've had close to a thousand applications wow uh, from all different backgrounds um, people from uh, in, in aviation, from military, civil, people in esports, people in motorsports, MotoGP, uh, all applying to be able to, to be the first generation of pilots that come through. Um, but in terms of where they're from, we don't know yet, and that's the exciting part. We're going to be able to figure out where that talent base can be drawn upon uh, and developed uh, over the next few years.
1: It's going to take some time to practice, surely.
2: Yeah, we're in, a, we're in an era now where we can start to practice quite virtually as well. Oh, okay. So we can use simulators, and our pilot's currently using uh, forms of different types of simulators to be able to, to train on time. Um, you can
1: simulate gusts of wind and
2: bad weather. And... Exactly. So we can simulate all sorts of things. We can mm. sort of simulate weather environments, multiple vehicles. You can simulate uh, the speeds of the vehicles uh, at, at different temperatures. It's all, it can all be done. Um, but that means that our, our pilots can already start training uh, on, on simulators before they move on to um, onto the vehicles themselves. It's important to say that we won't be running straight into manned uh, or crewed races. That's, oh, okay. That's something we're going to work towards.
1: I just assumed uh, you would.
2: <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? But uh, our first series uh, for this year uh, is going to be uh, an, an unmanned series, so we're really excited. Uh, to be able to show that and that that allows us to do some pretty extreme racing having pilots (laughs) like driving the flying these vehicles remotely means that we can have multiple vehicles on the track um and also allows for a great way for the pilots to to continue training before they get into the vehicles themselves
1: so you were mentioning machine learning and this sort of Special bubble that's going to be around of what you know the, colloid, the collision avoidance. Um, so, how much actual skill is going to be from the pilots? Because a lot of it's going to be machines operating um, and and preventing things from happening.
2: They will be the, the hopefully the one percent of the race. We want this to be completely pilot driven. Mm. So it comes down to the skill of the pilots. You have got to remember that we've got a sole manufacturer, so because we are making all the vehicles, all the vehicles are going to be stock standard for at least for the first year or two. Mm -hmm. Um, So the differentiator will really come down to the pilot skill and decision-making. It will also mean that uh, when the autonomy aspect will come in, will only be for protection. Um, But it's also, there's going to be layers uh, to that as well. So if it means that a collision is inevitable, then the avoidance system will be able to kick in and uh, deter the... A crash from happening but other than that it's it's completely pilot driven it's not autonomous race and that's exciting as oh. well I think we need to we need to understand that that we've uh, if you look at the ground we're very quickly racing to a period where we want autonomous cars uh, to be able to drive us to work and we can kick our legs up and, and enjoy the trip but in doing that we're also losing a lot of enjoyment uh, we've, we've I progressed into a period where we've built the car and we've uh, all enjoy driving. We all remember our first car and driving our first car and really loving the, the aspect of agency, of being controlled. And, uh, and, and it seems like we're entering a period now where we're giving that up and, uh, and they're giving it back up to the system to be able to drive and losing it again. So for our world and uh, the flying car world, it's, there are some players that, that believe it's going to be autonomous. We think it's a bit further away for autonomous flying taxis to become a thing. We think there's a period where they're going to need to be piloted. Uh, have somebody at the helm, and uh, quite frankly, when you're racing, I think that's the that's the exciting bit. It's not an autonomous race we want to see. It's the, no, no. the yeah, gladiatorial combat that's going to have these pilots going neck to neck and uh, and 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 giving it their all, and that's where you're going to find the, the Schumachers uh that are going to be drawn to these these types of races
1: i bet i mean i'll, I'll be honest with you i've tried to drive i, I rented a automatic car and i hated it <laughs> so i'm you know i still prefer manual i i like to drive i feel the car myself and a lot of people do i think
2: i think so and i think it's bizarre that we're going to give that up uh after we've, we've fallen in love with it uh-huh. but um at least in the flying space, we've got a couple of years left to, uh, to figure out how we can have some fun.
1: Well, this has really been interesting. I didn't actually realise just how much I was going to get into this before I started. <laughs> this is really <laughs> fascinating. And I'm quite intrigued to learn more about um, when your first uh, race is. Um, but obviously you can't tell us now. But we would love for you to come back another time and tell us um, either before or after it, um, how it went. We'd love to hear.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Of course. Um, and hopefully you'll be you'll be watching it as well. Um, a Flying Car Race Series 2021. I think it's yeah, it's one of those moments you kind of have to stop and think. Again. You're
1: not going to forget it, are you? Yeah, this is
2: exactly <laughs> it. We we always joke who wouldn't watch it at least once. Come on.
1: Oh, I would definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for your time, Jack. It was very nice to have you on. And we look forward to learning more about um, Airspeeder. Just before I go, um, if people want to look up more detail about this, and maybe is there any way they can subscribe to releases or updates, um, where do we find you?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Just head to uh, www.airspeeder.com. You can subscribe there across all our news. Otherwise, you can follow us on all our
1: social channels. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your time, and we'll be back very soon with you, I hope. Um, but that's all for now, guys, and we'll be back very soon with a new podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on